Hello, welcome to Camp Adulthood and the Resident Youth. I'm Shay Keats, also known as Camp Adulthood. And I'm Maddie Yerke, Resident Youth. Uh, today we have a very esteemed guest and dear friend, as all our guests are, <laughs> uh, Stephen Floyd, um, who's going to talk to us about a lot of interesting things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but to begin, so Stephen, just so you know, we usually talk to our hot top or campfire. You should feel free to uh, jump in, but we will have you officially introduce yourself right before we begin the interview. Okay, great, great. Okay. Awesome. Shall I begin? You shall begin. Yeah, what are some hot okay. topics? Some campfire. So I got really excited about this yesterday because I am the purveyor of the social media. Mm. Mostly the Instagram. I'm pretty proud of the camp adult with Instagram. Great. And I saw we had a new follower last night, and it was an actual adult summer camp that followed the camp adult at Instagram. It's a summer camp at the Berkshires for adults. Interesting. And I just wanted to get our thoughts on that. How do we feel? Do we think it's, like, a little weird? I think it's a little weird. But I think it's kind of fun. I don't think I would pay money yeah. to go to an adult summer camp. I feel pretty great about it. I know a friend that uh, <laughs> who runs a uh, a camp called Soul Camp. Oh. Is and, it like Soul Cycle? Uh, no. It's no, it's not related. It's a, it's kind of like a spiritual. Uh, there's a lot of yoga, a lot of um, fun activities, and um, I know a lot of cool people who go. So that's kind of changed my prejudice like on yoga adult camp. camp. See, I've heard of that, people that go on, like, yoga Yeah, or, like, tennis stuff. camp, but like, retreat. But this is, like, literal, like, you go in a wood cabin, you, like, right. roast a weed. Play capture the, the fire. flag. Yeah. Except I'm sure there's, like, a lot of beer. I would have I don't know. I don't know. I think Soul Camp, there's no beer, but I think there it is, <laughs> like, the wood cabins, and they do a bunch of fun stuff. Um, I see their Instagram, and so I feel pretty good about that. Um, I don't have too much... I, I, I mean, I'm not going to lie. When I first heard, heard about it, yeah, I was like, like, whoa, clear. okay, you know, yeah. we should age out of that at some point, but. <laughs> um, did either of you go to sleepaway camp when you were a kid? I went for one summer to, like, arts camp. Oh. But not actual, Was like, it when you were a ballerina? Yes. Oh, Maddie was so cute. That's adorable. I'm yeah. going to be brutally honest. I went <laughs> for, to Camp Putak. Ooh. which was a Native American-themed <laughs> camp in Maryland. And I went for, like, two nights. Are you Native nights. American? No. no I, I mean, it was actually run by the Salvation Army, which I thought was kind oh, of, like... that's nice. Well, I thought it was kind of bizarre because, you know, I mean, <laughs> kind of, like, the genocide. Yeah. Uh, like, um, it's even, just got very deep. Yeah. Fun hot topic. <laughs> well, even when I was eight, I was like, so this is bizarre. did you guys do? Did you, like, build teepees? Like... Yeah. I mean, I have to be honest. I was there for, like, two nights, and I wanted out. And I, like, my poor parents like paid summer? all this... I think it was like two weeks, and I, I I was like I missed my TV and I miss my video games, and I I think I was out. I was like no thank you. So um, you actually went home. You yeah, home. but my sister was super into it. She got like all these levels of awards, and she built like. She get like the chieftain. I don't know. She built like a moccasins and like oh God, you know oh, made that's things hilarious. out of turtle shells and learned how to shoot arrows. She was really into it. Aww. So shout out to my sister for being a trooper. First, I did. The first time I went was like a Girl Scout sleepaway camp, and it was the summer between, I think, third and fourth grade. And the first day I wrote, because again, there was no like cell phones. You dropped your kid off. You didn't, this was no helicopter parenting going on here. Mm -hmm. 
So I wrote my mom a letter on Monday that said, Dear Mommy, I hate this. Please come pick me up Aww. or something along those lines. Aww, sad. So my mom gets this letter on Thursday, and she's supposed to come pick me up on Friday because it was like a short camp. Um, and she was like, I didn't know what to do. I was like, should I come on Thursday or should I make you wait it out? And I decided to make you wait it out. Aww. And then she and my grandma came on Friday to pick me up. And I was like, this is the best time ever. I love it here. You go to adult camp yeah. and you don't like it, I'll come pick you up. Thank you, thank you. And then right. I went to another Catholic summer camp for like five or six mm-hmm. years that I loved. So, Was it like vacation Bible school type of thing? Um, it was actually, because Catholics are not really into vacation Bible school, mm-hmm. It we had to go to Mass like once a week and the rest of the time we just you know, palled around. Palled around. That's super reasonable, actually. Yeah, yeah it was like, it was, <laughs> and it was very much, it was for like Catholic summer camp, it was more about like the spirituality of friendship and less about like Jesus says do this, but you do have to go to church once a week. Yeah. And you'd have to make, like, a bookmark about, you know, scripture, but that's about it. Mm. I like that. Yeah, that's that was a fun vibe I had. It was a good time. Does anyone else have a hot topic? Um, no. I don't. I mean, I have some hot topics, but they kind of relate to our okay, we'll wait, we'll wait subject matter. Okay. Do you have any I'm trying to think. Um, I know. I know. Millennial moments of the week. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say one hot topic that's okay. been floating around social media right now, and it's like the big thing. And I'm, I haven't posted on Facebook or Instagram or anything about it. Is it the men wearing lace leotards? No, that's awesome. Okay. I'm actually supporting <laughs> that. He's like, I own one. I was like, yeah. Say what you were wear, gonna say. Okay, I need, I need one in uh, 32 ways. Um, <laughs> I, I'm gonna comment on this whole Black China. Uh, oh, yeah. Rob oh, Kardashian, Kardashian thing. I have a lot of thoughts about this. I have a lot of thoughts about it too, but I mostly want to say that I had a lot of people come to me and say, well, she's posted pictures of herself other times. Why is she freaking out about... People said that? People said that, oh, and I was idiots. like, this is really incredible that people yeah. think that way. I mean, and it's I... It's incredible, but then you realize most people are big bombs. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I was just like, it's her body. She gets to decide yeah. mm-hmm. when she posts, you know... Rob Kardashian is the biggest big bong. I'm sorry. Well, yeah. I think he's suffering from He definitely sort of is, depression. and it's sad that he's... Like, forced into the public eye, I think. Because he clearly doesn't like it. I watched the Kardashians religiously, and, like, he definitely hates being on camera, I think. Yeah. But that's the only way that he can, like, make a living, right? Like... I guess I mean, his socks. His socks are pretty cool. His socks? Yeah. He makes socks. Yeah, they sell them at Neiman Marcus. Well, there's something. Yeah. They're nice. They're like fun socks, but it's like, you only make so much money selling socks, I think. Exactly. You're a Kardashian. I just think happy people don't, they respond instead of reacting, let's say that. And so that was really reactionary. It's like hurt people hurt people. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. And so, I mean, for me to do something that petty, you know, I mean, she might have done a million things wrong in that relationship, but what he did, in my opinion, and not just my opinion, California law is criminal, you know? Well, exactly. <laughs> and it's not okay to act out your personal drama. I mean, even though that's what the Kardashians do, but when you act out you your personal... You don't see Kanye posting stuff like yeah. that. Right, right. Exactly. You know. Exactly. Well, somebody's Arguably probably taking his phone mm-hmm. away, yeah. <laughs> Kanye I'm sure probably there's someone on control. staff whose, like, job is uh, to right. take Kanye's phone Can away. Can I get that job? I'd I know. be scary. Oh, my God. Like, 
I'm definitely Mr. taller West. than Kanye West. I could. Yeah. Well, how tall is Kim Kardashian? Is she she's like five foot nothing? Oh, yeah, really? Yeah, she's short. Kanye West is like five seven. I'm pretty sure. Well, they're poor children. That little saint is gonna be like four mm-hmm. foot tall. Yeah. But I think it's just like great... Kevin Hart married like a beautiful supermodel woman. Wow. And he's yeah. very funny and he's also like five foot. But he has a very important. beautiful face, Kevin Hart does. That's true. Fun. I mean, I'm, I'm sure St. West will also have a very beautiful face. Yeah. I mean, Kanye West has a beautiful face. Yeah. Truth. It's not, Except he's not my favorite, but a lot. So it's like, it's kind of angry. He's a, he's, a, he's a complex person. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a great campfire topic, and I'm going to end with this. I just wanted to throw it out there. Just because it, it really, I think, millennials who whose lives are so integrated in social media, it's, yeah. a, it's a great lesson and not being reactionary and not, yeah. you know, restraint of pen and tongue and just pausing instead of sending that tweet or sending that status. That's what the drafts folder is for. Right, yeah. absolutely. They make it for a reason. And even in your personal communication, I think because we can be so, you know, everything is so immediate and everything is so public, we also feel, and it, we just talked about this with our previous guests, that everything, there's this expectation that everything is instantaneous. And even on your private communication, you think, well, I've got to send that text to my boyfriend right now or I have to do this immediately. Mm-hmm. And you shouldn't. You should take a minute and you should think about it. Yeah. Especially when sending nude photos. Right. Just a pause, man. Just mm-hmm. take a breath. Take yeah. a deep breath. And yeah. I think it really makes a difference. Just doing that for Maybe 30 Rob days. Maybe needs to go to soul camp. I know. Mm-hmm. He would thrive at soul camp. He needs supportive people in his life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just good my talk, humble guys. opinion. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for the, the campfire topic. Like it. This is good. <laughs> Moving to our millennial moment of the week. Oh, yes. I have one. It was Excellent. technically last week. My parents were in town. Mm. And John and Marianne. We're in my apartment right now. Steven has been here for 20 minutes, but Shane right. has been here many times in the past. And I don't think I keep this apartment... I don't think there's a lot of stuff in here. I don't think it's particularly messy all the time. Mm-hmm. But my parents walked in and they acted like it was like an A&E hoarders episode. <laughs> and I was like, what is happening? And it was mostly because my TV stand, which my parents have since moved, so now it's under the TV. Oh, right. It right. was like adjacent. I have like a, a cart that I use as like counter space in my kitchen. And originally I had a table that I was using as a TV stand and then I got an actual TV stand, but I was like, I don't know what to do with the table. And so I was like, I'm just going to push the TV stand up against the counter and just mm-hmm. make it a longer counter until I figure out what to do with it. My parents walked in and they were like, if you just keep piling up your furniture, it's just going to keep growing and then you're going to have no space. And like I have, I've been getting rid of a lot of clothes and stuff. So I have a pile of clothes that I need to give away. And they were just like, freaking out and they acted like I was a hoarder and I was like am I a trash bag like I live alone so I don't have a lot of (laughs) input on like how I live you know like when I have people over I try to you know get it together but I'm like Mm -hmm. am I just like a trashy person and no one's told me until my parents were like you suck not Uh, at all you are not a trashy person I do have to say the week before your parents got here I was over and it was a little problematic in here but all the other times, including tonight, I that think that was it because quite I was lovely. a little. That was the week that I got were, my phone stolen at a bar. Yeah, you were a bit. And distressed. I had to work. I worked over Fourth of July weekend. I worked Saturday, Sunday, and then on the Fourth of July. So I had a lot going on. That's no heavy. Yeah, that's yeah. heavy. No judgment. But we've pulled it together. Mm-hmm. I think that 
you know, when you live alone, you have a, a certain amount of leeway and a little bit of room to be messy. Well, I'm gonna have a, a marine space. here so he can field day Good, my that's apartment. That's right, job. yeah. <laughs> Clean up, <laughs> marine. Yeah. I mean, Jeez. it's your space, you know? Yeah, that's mm-hmm. true. Does anyone else have a millennial moment they want to share? Um, I think I do. Um, this week I found a beautiful apartment in Ooh. Brooklyn Heights. Congratulations. Yeah, and it felt really, um, it felt monumental for me personally. And I think, um, in the past I've had a lot of feelings and stress and worry and, I've moved, I think, five times in the past three years, and it's just been always a, a point of contention and frustration in my life. And this time, I've really just put out the feelers, talked to people, was really chill about it. More opportunities have come to you. And I j- just sat back and relaxed, <laughs> and it all worked out. And so That's that awesome. felt, yeah, it felt like, okay, here, you know, I had two options. I could have really gotten... Um, Reactive, like I could have robbed Kardashian the shit out of that, <laughs> and like not have a stable, awesome living situation with two friends that's coming up in August. I mean, I live with a great roommate now, but I think you know it's nice to. Stephen uh, lives in the actual camp adulthood with yeah. Shay. Stephen yeah, is my roommate. <laughs> listeners, it yeah, is, uh, not a secret. Very yeah. proud of him. Yes. And so, you know. So Stephen technically is the resident youth at the moment. Yes. Although he's a bit old to be resident youth. I know. So. Maybe this is a good transition to introducing Stephen. So how old are you, Stephen? I don't actually know this. Okay. Um, I've so, never even guessed. Yeah. Um, I always like to play that game. How old do you think I am? Um, I always say 25 because if they're older than 25, they'll be super thrilled yeah. that yeah. you said that they're younger. And if they're younger than 25, then they'll be impressed that think that they're so mature that they're 25. Wow, that's I a great that. strategy. So good. Yeah. Well, if anybody tells me that they think I'm 25, I'll be like, I know you're lying. No, <laughs> I mean, Corey thinks you're not a day over, like, 22. Well, so. Corey is the president of my fan club, so. That's Corey's awesome. my boyfriend. He loves yeah. Shay. <laughs> that's awesome. So Shay lightly tolerates him. Yeah, no, he's okay. Um, so I am... Finishing up my 25th year. I'm going to be 26. I was right. My guess was correct. Yeah, yeah. August 7th, I'm turning 26. That means you were born in... I was born August 7th, 1991. 1991. Great year. What a baby. I remember graduating high school in 09, and, you know, every year had, like, their own little catchphrase, and ours was, like, 09, so fine. Oh, you want to hear a funny story about that? My mom graduated high school in 1983, and their slogan was apathy in 83. Oh, really? Because they were, like, Gen X slackers. Oh. I love love it. I love it. Again, I love how Gen X was known as slackers, and yet Gen X's favorite thing to do is be, like, millennials are such slackers. Right. You're trying to pass the buck. Kurt Cobain, they're all, like, flannel. Kurt Cobain. Yeah. So, anyway, so where did you grow up? So, I was born in Baltimore, Maryland. I grew up there. I went to middle school there. Um, and then I went so to... So, you're high- not a Jersey boy. I'm actually not a Jersey boy. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I lived in Jersey for 10 years, so I think that... I hope that qualifies uh, Yeah, I think yeah. I had an honorary Jersey boy for that. Um, I moved when I was 14. I went to high school and college in New Jersey, so... Where did you go to college? I went to Drew University... 
Uh, it's actually kind of sad. I was a commuter because I, <laughs> oh, <that's laughs> so sad. I never like ever connected that's with very people. Common. I would just go to my uh, classes and then leave. You didn't have the typical like. No, I didn't. Frat parties, hanging out, dorm experience. I didn't. I didn't have that kind of experience. Yeah. Um, I may have had that experience at a younger age than most people, oh. but we'll talk about that later yeah. a little yeah. bit. <laughs> um and. Where what do you do now? So I do a couple of things. Um, I'm a graduate student at the School of Social Work at Fordham, which I love. Congratulations! Shout out Big to Fordham. Deal. Yeah. yeah. Um, I work for the NYU School of Medicine in their Population Health Department. I'm a researcher, or a research assistant, really, and um, and I also teach meditation and mindfulness to. Um, most recently, I just ended um, a stint teaching meditation to kids aging out of foster care. So, very cool. Yeah, That's super cool. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. So, um, besides all of these very interesting things that Stephen has already outlined about himself, right. um, the story that we are probably most interested in hearing from Stephen tonight. Right. Um, well, as all of our listeners know, Maddie and I like a cocktail or two, so we certainly. <laughs> don't know the story of the sober life um but steven has been sober for how many years um it was six years in february yeah six years which is a huge accomplishment and um although i know i've never known steven or never heard steven's story about how he got sober and what prompted that decision even though we've been friends now for a year right so i'm excited yeah um, i'd love to tell you yeah hear you share that with us and with our listeners and and we can talk talk about that further Great. I mean, I can give you kind of the general outline. I mean, I don't think an hour I could tell you all about it, but I can say that I grew up in Baltimore. My dad is an alcoholic. My dad has uh, substance abuse issues, and I had a great mother, a great sister. I love my dad. He's a great guy. Um, But there was always alcohol present, and there was always alcohol in my life, you know? from a very young age and I remember um really not fitting in as a kid I remember all of my report cards said <laughs> that I got along really well with my teachers that was like <laughs> always a comment so yeah kind of back right I was like they were like you're weird basically <laughs> oh, no. and it, I think it's because I was I always felt like maybe I was an older soul I don't know if, what your belief system is but mm-hmm. I was like maybe I'm an old soul I recently kind of felt that and I got along with people who are a lot older than me I got their jokes and um so I never quite felt like I fit in and I remember and you know I had a pretty crazy childhood it was like there's a lot of ups and downs and so I remember um there was just this time where um I was in the fifth grade and my health teacher was like if you drink and use drugs like all of your problems will go away for 45 minutes 
but then they're gonna come back. Yeah. In the fifth grade, someone said that. And I was like, "Holy shit! That's Forty-five incredible. minutes!" You know? Awesome. And I was yeah. like, "Yeah, where do I find drugs oh and alcohol?" God. Oh no. <laughs> and that's such a random amount of time. I don't think I think that's completely inappropriate to be saying your class of fifth graders. Right. I think what she meant probably was that like it's not a solution. Yeah. It's you know you're it's not right. Right. Fixed to a long term. Right. I just didn't hear that last part. (laughs) (laughs) I just focused on the first like forty five minutes and I was like man I want that. Yeah. I remember I had these two best friends and also I was gay, and I I I feel like. Just I felt a lot of separateness because I was gay. Um, I had suffered from depression a lot when I was a kid and anxiety, hence leaving Camp Hutak when I was eight. I just I had a lot. I always felt like I was crawling out of my skin, really, and and I think that was really the theme. And I kept thinking like, what's wrong with me? Like, what's wrong with me? And I remember we went home and we were maybe like. 11 and my best friends Megan and Christy who are just amazing um they were the first people I told I was gay and they're like cool um and that was like the end of the conversation I was like what and the universe didn't collapse and um we went home and I think we mixed all we took all these alcohols like and my parents had a liquor cabinet and we took like you were 11? yeah and and um also, by then, I had started smoking cigarettes. I can't believe I... I know. I I found a pack of Newports somewhere. My parents weren't smokers. My parents actually hated smoking. Yeah. Um, but one of my friend's parents owned a gas station, and we would just go in and, and take the cigarettes, and we would smoke maybe one or... And so... Um, and so we took all these different liquors, and we put it in a blender... I think with, like, some frozen... I I thought I was making, like, a cocktail or something like that. And um, with all these, like, frozen strawberries or something. It was disgusting. (laughs) But I drank it, and it was like my body and my mind just exhaled. It was just like, ah. And I... That feeling of, like, crawling out of my skin, that feeling of, like, feeling different, just melted away. And all of a sudden, I was funny, and... I was like the life of the party, it felt like. And and I love that feeling. I really describe my relationship with alcohol as like a love affair. I really think of it that way. And it started off great. And when I moved to New, New Jersey, I again felt that separateness, but I was like, oh, I know what to do. Mm-hmm. I invited everyone over, and we got a case of beer, and we drank, and I, instantly I had friends. That's what it felt like. And so I didn't... It, it was great in the beginning. And then what happened slowly is I started having consequences. Like, um, I was a blackout drinker from day one. I just always was a blackout drinker, which I didn't think was problematic. Like, I actually thought, congratulatos. That's like what was supposed to happen. Right. Yeah. I was like, I That's just... That's how it works. Right. Like, graduatos, you just didn't have to experience, like, eight hours. And, you know, and... I thought it's what made me interesting and funny, and so I had so much invested in drinking. And slowly, um, things would happen, like I'd black out and I would yell at a friend, or, you know, I'd black out and I would break something in my room. And it was just like little things. I mean, we have to, you have to know that alcoholism is a progressive disease, so it doesn't start out um, extremely problematic, you know? but it slowly creeps on you. 
And then I got arrested for, I think I when I was 15, I got arrested for possession with intent to distribute for some weed. And I wasn't even, in, I was like dead ass, not even trying to distribute it. I just had so much on me. I just, like, like, this guy was <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And, so uh, you were oh not only drinking, but you were smoking weed Right, well. right. And, and dabbling in some other things. I don't really... I'm not going to go into, like, the substances because I don't yeah. think that's really important. But what mm-hmm. is important is that by the end of high school, I really felt like I had a problem. And which was that people were starting to get tired of it. They were starting to, like... Like I, your friends, family... Everyone. And did your parents recognize that you had a problem? or? Well, I think... My dad had, my parents had gotten divorced when I was 15, mm-hmm. and so my dad had moved out, and my mom was a, doing her best single mother who had a really high-powered job and would travel to Turkey or travel to uh, California, Brazil, it, you know, and so she wasn't home a lot, and so she would have maybe my grandmother stay or, like, my aunt, but there wasn't a ton of supervision, and I think there was one time where she found all this empty bottles in my car because I'd been drinking and driving. Oh, no. You know, and I was like, I think I... I don't even think I had my license, actually, which is the most absurd part of it all. (laughs) Um, It just was really... It was a sad... Looking back, I'm like, you know, I see a 16-year-old now, and I just want to hug them because I'm just like, man, I get it. It's rough. Yeah. And so, again, it progressed. So it then became people were starting to get annoyed. By the time I was 17, and I'd been having these big parties at my house when my mom was away, and, like, I felt like I was friends with everyone in my grade, and I was popular, and people liked me. And I don't even know if that was true. I don't... I mean, they certainly drank at my house. That's all that meant. And, um... What happened is... I... Yeah, people were getting a little tired, and I graduated high school barely, and I got... That summer, um, I had gotten a full scholarship to go to, I'll just say, a university. No need to bring their name into (laughs) some of this crazy story. But, um, and right before, I I was on, you know, they have that, like, weekend you visit before you actually go there. and you like student's weekend kind of thing. Yeah. Right, right. Um, I had gotten a phone call that one of my best friends, one of my close friends, had been in a car accident and had become... A quadriplegic, <gasps> basically. Well, I didn't know that at that point. Yeah. But he had gotten in this big accident. And um, and what happened is he... I came back home immediately, and and he had locked-in syndrome, which means that he could only blink. He was fully cognitive there, but only could blink. And, oh, God. Um, he... It, yeah, it was just it, tragic. And I remember wanting to show up for him, right? Um, I had, I went to school in August and got kicked out, so I had come back home, and I thought, great, I'll, I'll just hang out with this person all the time. Um, and I didn't show up for him. Every day I would wake up and I'd be like, I'm going to go see him today, like, I'm going to go see him. And by, like, noon I'd be drunk and high. And I would think, oh, my God. I'm so, such a horrible person, you know? And that went on for about a year until Brian passed away. Mm. And he um, donated all of his organs. So 
shout out for organ donation. I mean, he had a really admirable, amazing life. And um, so that really got me realizing that I was drinking against my will. So, like, what I started... You wanted to kind of... You wanted to see your friend and you couldn't... Right, like, I... Get yourself to stop drinking to go see him kind of thing. Right, I started to see that so clearly that I was drinking despite not want Like, I would not want to, and yet I had this compulsion to. Mm. And that's why it's like a love affair. I mean, drinking worked until it stopped working. So, at that point, I was so miserable... And I couldn't get drunk enough to forget. I mean, there were a million instances of, like, blacking out, waking up in Philadelphia. Like, the craziness, it's... it's we would need, like, nine podcasts to go through. <laughs> but basically the point being is that um, I had gotten to a point where it no longer worked. I didn't get that feeling I got when I was, like, 11. I didn't get a relief. In fact, I'd wake up every day feeling depressed and so what happened is I went to this party and I saw this girl that I saw maybe like a year or two before and she was wrecked at the party before and she was like chain smoking and vomiting I think like literally Ugh. yeah and like I was at like, the same time yeah it's so bad. and that's really problematic yeah, yeah. and um, and and I would see her I, I was really good friends with her sister and I would see her at the, the house uh, that she lived in and and she looked so good and she looked so like present and awake and I was like what is that and it's like she would walk in the room and everyone would turn their heads mm-hmm. and she's beautiful and you know it's, but it was like her serenity and her like energy was like palpable and I was like I want that like, whatever that is, like, I want that. Because I was so done. Mm-hmm. And I walked up to her and I started talking and she told me that she was sober. And I was like, oh, that's cute, but that's not for me. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, just to cut it short, these incredible people came into my life and they took me to, they helped me detox off alcohol. And and is that hell? Uh, it is hell. It is also, like, I always suggest now, as a person who professionally works in, uh, in that field, really hospitalization is really important. Mm. I mean, people can really die from alcohol and benzos. Those are two... Like detoxing, you mean? Or? Yeah. I mean, you can, you know, you can get really, really, really sick, have seizures. Yeah. It's oh, very... God. It can be potentially fatal. So if you know someone... Uh, you know. That's good to make note of. I wouldn't even think about that. Right. Yeah. Don't just jack all their alcohol and, you like know, and leave them in a room. They could die. Yeah. Wow. So that's really important to know, yeah. And um, I do, I did join a 12-step program, and um, that was really successful for me, and I suggest that to people. But I also did a lot of Buddhist things and went on retreats. And and so, I don't know, it's, it's you know, I wish I had more time to tell you guys everything, but... I don't know, do you have, you know, questions, and I, I think I covered most of it. Yeah, I mean, I guess, um, I have two questions, if, and you can feel free to not answer them if they're too personal. The first is, did you relapse after you, at any point? Mm-hmm. You did? No. No, okay. I actually am really lucky I didn't relapse. I've been sober since I was 19 years old. Oh, wow. That is, uh, it's becoming more common, but when I first got sober, there weren't a ton do you think it's getting more common do you think 
I think access. There's just more community. Of, it's more acceptable to get help kind of thing? I or? think so. I think the stigma around it is getting a little bit better. I mean, even on the subways, you see ads about yeah. getting help. And that wasn't always the case. And um, Or just knowing someone that got sober. Like, my sophomore year of college, I... Um, lived with someone who was getting sober off narcotics mm. in college. Wow. And she was the first person that I knew personally who had gone through, like, a 12-step program who was getting sober and that kind of thing. And we were so young. We were, like, 20, like, same age kind of that yeah. you were. And it was... She was the first... I don't have, you know, substance abuse that kind of runs through my family, so I didn't have mm. a lot of people having me family members, maybe an uncle or you know, a parent or something like that, but I never had that until right. I met her. So it definitely is more common, I, I feel. Yeah, and I think what blows my mind about your story and, and meeting some people that you know that have are also have gotten sober so young, hearing Maddie's story about her friend, um, when I was 19, I, I mean, I never you had... You didn't a, know anyone. I didn't, I didn't know anything. I also didn't drink. I mean, I... Again, is and for all you say, oh, I like a cocktail now. I mean, I, I, like that would have been such a foreign concept right. to me. Like the first time I ever got drunk, I think I was nineteen, and mm. I split oh, I mean, a bottle like, of wine. Drinking so early that you would even yeah, like with two of no, girls. you were yeah, alcoholic like, so, at nineteen, kind of thing. Exactly. Right. So I think that's really so striking to me is like the drinking so early and what that says, kind of as more people are getting sober younger, that means that more people are having access and feeling that it's okay to be drinking so young. And I think that that's but do you feel so interesting. Coming from a place where you are an alcoholic, do you feel like even if you hadn't, maybe if your parents hadn't had alcohol in the home, do you think you would have found it elsewhere anyways, just because oh, you have yeah. the disease? Uh, yeah, I really do. I feel like um, it was just a matter of time before... It's like a moth to a flame. I mean, I I believe... I mean, this isn't entirely scientific. I don't have anything to really back well, this up. you're speaking your own truth. Yeah, so my yeah, own truth is I feel like I digest alcohol differently. And I don't have any proof other than, like, Maddie, you have a cocktail and you probably have one and you're, you're going to go to bed tonight. And if I had a cocktail tonight... Even six years later, I'd probably break out in handcuffs later, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I don't know why that is. I yeah. mean, it's... it's in, At this point, the why isn't really important to me. I just... What I know is that what happens to me... When I, when I got sober, someone had told me this, and I never learned this. It, they said, the first drink gets you drunk. And I thought that was really confusing. I'm like, isn't it like the ninth or 10th? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but yeah. the first, every time I started, I couldn't stop. Mm-hmm. Like, until it was over, until alcohol. And I don't think that happens in my, a lot of my friends who are not alcoholic. They, for right, whatever. They can have one glass of wine and right. be fine kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. So I think the thing about being sober young, which I love, is, is that I think people are surprised about how vibrant and fun and amazing my life is, I think that always kind of shocks people um, because people see me out and about living my life, and then you're not like a sad like shut in, right? And, and in fact, sobriety is given. I was a sad shut in when I was drinking. Yeah. I think yeah. sobriety has given me yeah. quality friendships and a and a really vibrant life. Like yeah. I have a blast all yeah. the time. 
And I think what's so interesting about that is living in New York City is New York's New York is a drinking city. Yeah. And I, again, I am not a big drinker, but I feel like if I didn't if there wasn't so much of my social life that was about like let's go out for a cocktail or let's come over and have a glass of wine or let's cook dinner and have some wine, I probably wouldn't drink at all. But it's so ingrained into kind of our social construct. So and you do you, and you don't Find that a, problematic. A bartender for a period of time. Yeah, I was a bartender. Yeah, for a period of time. Well, it's it's interesting because I, I know both. Oh, Shay's having issues with her. Sorry, <laughs> it's actually it is the um, headphones, not my ears. Which okay. Kind of both. Um, one of my favorite bartenders is also sober, like a bar that I go to now mm-hmm. on the side. She's sober, and um, my aunt, who's not an alcoholic, but she just chooses not to drink was also, she was a bartender for many years and she chooses not to drink because I think she had so many negative experiences seeing mm-hmm. very drunk people out in life. So I'm just interested in, in your experience as a bartender being a sober person, how that's kind of either helped your sobriety or um, been I, a temptation, I'm not sure. Right, right. I mean, I don't recommend it to people who are like 30 <laughs> days sober. Yeah. I mean, Maybe I started don't bartending. Except that job, yeah. Yeah, I, had, I started bartending when I had like five years sober. So, I mean, for me, at that period of time, it was kind of. Um, I mean, seeing drunk people was just exhausting to me and kind of. I it's mean, exhausting for me, too. Okay, great. <laughs> to I'm, see yeah, I don't want to sound. Yeah. Well. No, I mean, I've definitely been, like, I'm glad everyone friend, and I know how exhausting it is to be around right. me, and so I, I get it. Right, and I also think the cool thing about sobriety um, is that it, again, and I, I, I want to underscore it, it gives you a lot of freedom, and so... I actually am not scared to go any place that has alcohol. I go to concerts. I go to mm-hmm. whatever. Um, I actually... You live with Shay. Yeah. Is not yeah. sober. Right. And so I, I think... When you said that makes it sound like I'm some kind of like... No, 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 no. Shay is not... Yeah, not at all. Not at all. You um, don't live in some like secluded right, sober living right, house with only right. sober people. There's right. always that one bottle of wine puppy. in the fridge. Yeah. <laughs> right. I just think... No, actually, I will say, because I was dog-sitting at Shay's house, and mm-hmm. I was having a personal crisis that weekend, and I was like, I would like a drink, and I was like... I There's was, no like, liquor in the house. through your guys' apartment, and there was literally not a stitch of alcohol, and I was right. like, you have to be kidding me. I was like, I just want one glass of wine. There was nothing. <laughs> yeah. It was like, classic. Shay and Steven. But I think you get to a point in sobriety where... Um, it's just not appealing to you anymore. Yeah. So you don't miss drinking. I don't, and that requires a lot of work on yourself. That requires a lot of personal growth, spiritual growth. Um, I, I think that is attainable, you know, for mm-hmm. anyone. I don't think I'm special. I think I know a lot yeah. of sober people who just, it, after a certain point, and your life gets bigger, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, I have so much to lose if I pick up a drink. You know, I have... It's not worth it at all. And it's just not attractive to me anymore. But there was a period of time, I think, in my early sobriety where I couldn't be around it. And I was really lucky that I had great people in my life who understood that. And I was also a little unlucky that I had people who really didn't get with that. And they were really... Their loss. Right. Exactly. Right. (laughs) I mean, 
people, you know, part of getting sober was also realizing that people, that the only thing I had in common with them was drinking. Yeah. They drank the way I drank, and that's why we hung out. Yeah. And so those people have kind of melted away, and um, the people who were great then are still great now, so... Um, do you find that most of your friends are, at least your close circle, are also sober, or is it, is it kind of not really, do you have a mixed bag, I guess? Right, I do have a really mixed bag. Um, I'm really, I have a lot of sober people in my life. It's really full with people who are sober. It's also full of people who are just, um, I think, in general, just in life, I'm a quality not quantity kind of person um except your instagram followers right mm. <laughs> i have a lot of acquaintances his, yeah. his pretty blue eyes well i'm also just i literally will talk to anyone and they're i'm like the, i've turned in my mom and like i literally could talk to someone at the grocery store for like 45 minutes about like i don't know and that's why you're such a good podcast guest right? oh thanks um i think that and, and that being said, I don't think a person has to be sober to be quality. I think there's a lot of people who um, are just amazing, incredible people who are doing great things. You know, for my, at this point in my life, though, I will say that my life is very service-oriented, and I really do admire people whose lives are like that, too. Like, they do a lot of, whether it's political or... Um, even if you're a fashion designer, but you do it with integrity and you're awesome, I want to know you. You know what I mean? Steven wants to know you, listeners. Yeah. <laughs> so you I want to call him at now. Yeah, right? You can Please. Him on Instagram. Yeah. He's single? Instagram. No. no. Yeah. <laughs> My Instagram? Yeah. It's really easy. It's Stephen F. Floyd. Stephen with a V. Yeah. And Floyd, like Pink Floyd. I like it. Love it. Yeah. Um, so you said that you have gone through a 12-step program. Right. I, I'm not familiar with 12-step programs at all. Right. I mean, I'm familiar in, like, a general sense. But I'm just wondering, so you've, you've been sober for six years. Um, is there a point where you, like, get to the 12th step? Or is it one of those things where you, you never get to the 12th step? You know what I mean? Because I know right. a lot of people are like, I'm on my fifth step. I'm on... I'm working through my sixth step. You know what I mean? Great. Like, have you already circled through all of the steps or is it kind of like you're always kind of striving for that last step Great. Kind of thing? I mean I want to just caution this by saying I'm not a representative of every person in a 12 step right. you know but I, I had gone through the steps pretty quickly when I got sober I mean that is the program and so when you you know so the program is like the initial kind of hump so to speak of like getting into the sober lifestyle yeah, and I think it. the 12 steps teach you how to connect with your spirituality, a higher power, um, and that allows you, right, it gives you a lot of freedom and independence and a lot of... It, it's the only thing I know that really removed the desire to drink from my life, like, that process. And so, I mean, people are at different stages in that process. I will say that, um, do I think that I'm ever done 
that process. No, I think just like any practice, you fall, get back up, you you stumble, you you pick yourself back up, and and you learn from your mistakes, and and um, so it's a practice. It's a it's a spiritual program, and and you're always practicing it, and you're learning to apply the principles that you learn in a 12-step program in your life. So I still go to meetings at 12-step program. I can't say which 12-step program I am in, obviously, because <laughs> I can't, I don't want to be a representative of any of them, but uh, I still go because I have so much to learn. I mean, the thing about getting sober young is not only are you getting sober, but you're also growing up. Mm. And those are two awkward stages Right? So you just doubled your awkwardness and you're like, wait, where am I in life? Like, where do I fit in? And, you know, like, I learned how to go to a job on time and sobriety. Like, I learned how to pay my taxes. And so, and those are things that you learn anyway, but I had the additional support of sober people in my life who could show me the way a little bit. So I think that's kind of a gift of getting sober young, too, is like you get to grow up. Uh, in this interesting way, you know. Do you think, um, you know, people who know that they are an alcoholic for their whole life, let's say, similar to you, they Mm -hmm. have experiences young, but they don't get sober until their 50s, let's say. Do you think that older people have a harder time getting sober than younger people, or do you think it's the opposite, or it doesn't really matter, it's kind of an individual... I think every age presents its own difficulties. So when you're young, one of the difficulties is that everyone around you drinks. So you're in college, let's say, and you're in an environment where everyone drinks. Um, And so that has its own stressors, right? And risk factors. And that could really affect your sobriety. But also being 50 and you have two kids in colleges that you're paying tuition and you have a full-time job that maybe, you know, say you just went to rehab because HR sent you away and now you're coming back. You know, every age presents its difficulties. Um, But sobriety is really a design for living. It is really a... um, It's really a path to... um, really cleaning up your side of the street, taking, you know, it's taking responsibility for your life. Let's just say that. I think it's a better way of saying it. And so you really learn to take responsibility for your life. And, um, that's difficult at any age, you know, like that is a hard task. I think you brought up an interesting point that we touched upon with our previous guest, Laura, about the drinking on college campuses. We did an episode, um, few weeks ago with another member of our sorority that's how Shane and I know each other through the Mm -hmm. sorority and we were talking about the challenges with not only on college campuses but just in America in general even compared to other Mm -hmm. you know western countries there is a culture of binge drinking and you even touched upon it in your own life like drinking until blacking out kind of kind of concept right there for a lot of people there isn't that concept of moderation whether it is cultural and that's just what you pick up socially or whether it comes from a disease like alcoholism how do you feel like that's played into your sobriety do you think 
I mean, you touched upon it a little bit, like being in college. I know you didn't have kind of a more traditional college experience being on campus, right. but do you see it in other sober young people that you come across? Absolutely. I think it's incredibly problematic, actually, the way um, that drinking happens on college campuses. Um, I think it's encouraged, and I think it's almost like an attitude like boys will be boys, kind of. We have a very... Kids will be kids. Kids will be kids. College kids will be college kids. But what we see in the news is people die. Mm-hmm. And people get in accidents, and people. I mean, what was that recently with the the college kid from um, Penn State oh, or yeah, yeah the, the football hazing. player, the yeah, hazing? Really I mean, we have to realize that this is a mood and mind altering substance, and so I'm not saying not to experiment and and live your college life, and yeah, it's part of the experience. Um, but we need some other voices that are like, you know, that's the main voice we hear. We need some other voices that are like, hey, also it's kind of dangerous and yeah. <laughs> people are getting assaulted yeah. and people, you know, I think, and also I'm not big on condemning people's choices or making decisions for them. What I do in my life a lot is... I offer just an option. Like, this is my way of life. Yeah. This is how I live. Mm-hmm. And Live your life by example. Yeah. Right, exactly. From. Like, I have fun, and I go to parties, and I now feel more alive of a party than I ever did when I was drinking. Yeah. Because I'm interesting, and I'm present for everything. And I, I get to... People say something, and I'm like, I get to ask a follow-up question. Usually I was too drunk to, like, follow through. Like, somebody yeah. would be like, I just got a new dog, and I right out my head like yeah. gone like, <laughs> yeah and now I'm like I see them the next day and I'm like how is your how's your new dog and now they're like wow this is able to deepen those yeah. relationships a little bit more I feel like it in some ways it makes me a little bit more um I don't want to say irresistible that sounds really <laughs> egotistical you, everyone listeners Steven is very handsome uh, he's sitting here in his tank top all his ink is showing yeah. He's, I know, you have very cool tattoos. Yeah. Thank you. I like your, is that your dog, Chester? Yeah, that's my dog that passed away. That's why I brought up that. I'm like, dogs. Um, <laughs> my dog is obsessed with Steven. Like, yeah. literally, it makes me sad that's sometimes. Cutie. She loves Steven so much. But, so I don't ever, I don't, it's not my business ever to tell someone what to do. It's not my business to um, condemn other people's choices. In fact, a lot of people aren't alcoholics and I've never been one of those people like for instance I know sometimes you know I had a friend once who we were at a wedding together and we were both in recovery and and someone offered him a glass of wine and he was like I'm in recovery like uh, to the person and I was like chill bro like it's also normal to offer people a glass of wine yeah to be able to interact I've never been like that I've never been like that it's easy you have to be like thank you thank you exactly yeah do you have any grape juice? You know, yeah. or like, not that I would drink grape juice. But, you know. Club soda. Oh, yeah, I'll take a club soda with cranberry. That's also what I do at every club. So, like, most people don't yeah. even, like, no, I'll drink a... not drinking. Yeah, they think I'm, like, drinking a cocktail or something. And, and I think it's almost like that girl was for me. I try to be for other people. She, she didn't, um, the girl who got me sober, she didn't shove it down my throat. Yeah. She didn't 
make me feel bad about the choices I was making at the time. She just had a quality of energy and a quality of presence that I thought was really attractive, and I wanted that. And so that's what I try to do. I mean, I think one thing that we're kind of hinting at here that is not to generalize, but like America's systemic problem with alcohol is it's both glorified and villainized. So this whole idea of you offering this just making like offering a third door and a third option is really radical because I think we're either, you know, it's that culture of everyone's got to have 10 drinks and that's how you have fun. And if you don't do that, you're stick in the mud or it's the culture of like, well, if you have more than, you know, one glass of anything, you're a horrible gluttonous slut. And then, so here's just saying you're, it's not the villainization. It's not the glorification of alcohol. It's just like you do you, here's a third option. Right. And I was going to ask too, I think you bring up a good point because my, I had a follow up question, which you kind of already answered, which if you're a young person and you're in college, let's say, and there's alcohol everywhere and you see a friend and you're concerned about a friend how do you encourage them to get help if you think that's what they need without kind of condemning the behavior or making a decision for them or making them feel bad or maybe prejudging I think that is a fine line because you don't want to be telling people well you need to get help because you have a problem because maybe they don't maybe they just made a mistake it was a momentary lapse of judgment it's not how do you kind of toe that line as someone on the outside well, I trying think, to help someone? I think that's a, that's a great question. I think the answer for me would always be that it is totally normal and reasonable for a friend to express concern. I think that is the sign of a healthy friendship, you know? Um, and so, but what we need to, what we need to, what I try to do, let's keep it on me, is I do it with love and understanding and compassion and empathy. And you say, hey, I I noticed something, and for me it caused concern. And you keep it on you. You're like, it made me feel this way. I was concerned for, like, I felt concerned. I was worried. I was upset. And so you're not... How does someone argue with that? Don't be concerned about yeah. it. <laughs> like, yeah. you Don't know be I mean? so nice. Yes. God. You know? And so you keep it on yourself and your feelings, and you, you express your concern, and you, you, you really remove the judgment from it. You, you don't say, you don't demean a person or make them feel less than whole. You just say, hey, I saw something, and it, it made me feel this <coughs> feeling of worry, you know? are you okay, you know, and I think that's really, but I wanted to touch on something real fast that I know, I don't want to drift in topic, but I love what Shay just said, and I think it's part of a larger issue, I mean, in Eastern religions, they call this, like, the Western sickness, and it's just this insatiable need to fill it's, we see it in culture a lot, like this if-then kind of culture, if I get the car, if I get the house, if I get this, then I could be happy. And I think alcohol plays into that. Like, it fills that kind of void that I think sometimes we have and this kind of deep confusion and self-hatred that I don't want to say I'm not making general blanket statements, but, I mean, we see it in the Western culture and advertisement and 
and I think it's problematic. I do. Sure. Just a side note for that. No, that's great. Maddie, did you have other, I know you had a selection from a book you wanted to share. Oh, well, oh, I think yes. other things, we, yeah. We touched we... upon, no, well, I wanted to plug this book. I think we talked upon the stuff that I, I was going to read a passage from the book, but we kind of touched upon it. Anyways, okay. we don't need prompts. Um, but I will recommend this, this book called Drinking in America, Our Secret History by Susan Cheever, and it's kind of a history of America and how alcohol has kind of played into writing the Declaration of Independence and the fact that the Mayflower landed where it did because they ran out of beer, like fun, weird facts like that. And wow. also it has um, kind of the history of alcoholism in America. Mm. It goes through a little bit of the history of some of the 12-step programs that people may know. So it's kind of an interesting sort of dual book. So I would highly recommend it. I've been reading it. Awesome. Producer Jenny got it for me for my birthday, so... Oh. Nice. Producer Jenny. Shout out. Shout um, out to Producer Jenny. Of yeah. books, Stephen is writing a book. Yeah, tell us a little bit about your book. So exciting. Our first author. We've had um, journalists mm-hmm. on, the, on the show before, but never a, a full Great. book writer. So I'm writing a memoir about uh, addiction and mental illness. And so I go and I go deep and it, it's serious, but it's funny. There's a lot of hilarious stories that I write about um, and just moments uh, where I'm just living my best trash bag life as, as you would say Maddie and um, and there's some I'm funny stories the, uh, in the it the trash bag is uh, it's making, making the rounds it is making right. the rounds it's making the rounds but um, and there's some serious sides of it you know it, you know I've had some difficulties in sobriety and, and, and you know I have that I've been really lucky and I think there's another stigma about mental illness you know depression anxiety and I've suffered from both of those and so I mean just because I got sober didn't mean those those things and in some ways they led me really to drink too those were part and so if I didn't ever address them I think I would try to self-medicate somehow and end up drinking so um that's my book it's really it's I've, I've just, it started out by just writing out some of the stories I've had. I feel like I've had a pretty incredible life and funny and also challenging. I mean, I had cancer when I was 23. I, oh my gosh, wow. So many things I'm learning about you. Yeah. And that was heavy. Um, I also was gay bashed outside of a diner and, um, with two of my friends and so there's some heavy stuff in there but it also I want to just highlight that while these things were happening and they were so heavy I had so much love and laughter in my life and that there's a lot of resilience in the story and so yeah I mean maybe in May or June we'll, we'll that's soon though that's I awesome know. that's yeah. May or June 2018 2018 do you have a name or is it still um, I had a great name, and then I Googled it, oh, and someone had taken it. Google runs I was, everything. I was like, God, someone Google. Wrote a, wrote a, a book. Someone wrote a memoir with that exact oh, title, so we're in so the workshop. Okay. You know, I feel like that's the, I, you know, those who are writing a book, one of the great suggestions that was given to me, and I'll throw that out there if you're writing a book, is I wrote a table of contents first, and that really helped pace my book because then it's not so much this radical endeavor. Mm -hmm. It's more like, okay, I'm writing a chapter at a time. And it really started just by writing some of my experience in journaling. I have a great mentor right now who 
it was really encouraging me to journal. And cool. so that's great. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Do we want to so, do a card? Oh, a card, and then our twenty questions, yes. and then we'll. Or should we do twenty we'll questions, do 20 first. questions first? Okay. So, forget. and my twenty questions, it's like ten questions if I can think of them, because um, I don't have a good list yet. Just a few more things about you to cement your oh, place. Great, great, in yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Uh, millennial great. spectrum. Fire away. Yeah. So, what was your favorite book, or is your favorite book? Uh, nineteen eighty-four. Oh, favorite movie. Uh, Bridesmaid. Good one. Uh, favorite childhood TV show? Hey Arnold. Oh, see, this is good. Uh, favorite childhood snack? Dunkaroos. Oh, yeah, you were really, this is a very specific time period. Yeah. Uh, favorite band? Oh man, Fleetwood Mac. Oh, Fleetwood Mac. Um, favorite place you visited? Spain. Too. Oh, Vancouver. I take that oh. back. Vancouver is gorgeous. Vancouver's wonderful. I've never been anywhere like Pacific Northwest, Vancouver. Well, anywhere. maybe when gorgeous. we get famous, we can take the show on the road when we Absolutely. go to Vancouver. If anyone um, wants to uh, host our podcast, we have 13 Twitter followers. Right. Vancouver. You're on the come up. Soon to be 14. Yeah. You're on the come up. I see um, it. I think that's it. Favorite, uh, favorite person that you follow on Twitter? Are you on Twitter? Favorite Insta account? Um. Oh, yeah. I follow a lot of really positive people. Um, let's say, I'm going to throw out some names. Uh, Gabby Bernstein, definitely an amazing person and has really inspired me. Jordan Bach. Um, Do you follow Jedediah Jenkins? No. You should. He's a very positive person. I follow the glute guy, Brett Contreras. if you ever want like a nice glute workout. He's amazing. <laughs> nice butt to look at. Yeah. Steven's very into working out. I'm yeah. really into especially what I would refer to as booty gains. Ooh. But I felt a lot of positive. Um, I, I, I have a lot going on in my life and I just need like inspirational quotes and cute pictures. Um, so to end, just for the information of our listeners, are you single or taken? I'm very single. Oh, yeah. Ready to mingle? So at Stephen F. Floyd, direct message him. Yeah. yeah I was going to say, can people slide into your DMs? Um, or would you rather not? I honestly, I don't think I'm the kind of person I, I, I don't know. Listen to our podcast? No, 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 not your podcast. I'm just not sure if I would. Not the right move, sliding into the Right. I, I, I'm more of a, you know what I really like and is really rare is people approaching you and saying, hey, how are you doing? I think that's a lost so art. So stalk Steve now. No, I, I, I see uh, not that I'm the you best looking person. Profiles to Shay and yes, Shay and can invite them. them to the apartment. This is gonna sound egotistical. I don't mean this at all. I, I mean this in like a as humble as I can say this, but like you know, you'll notice people are staring at you at the gym or like you know wherever you nice are. Nice cute. Mm-hmm. And and th- that's where it ends. And then no one ever says like, hey, you know. And I'm I'm the opposite. I'm like, if I see you, I'm coming <laughs> to say hi. You're staring at Stephen like, at the gym. He's gonna say hi. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so last question, what does the F stand for in Stephen F. Floyd? Francis. Oh. That's a quality middle name, right? That's I think excellent. so. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Like All, right. All right. Esteemed guest, you may so, choose a card, yes. any card. So to preface this for our uh, new listeners and for Stephen, we had a launch party a few weeks ago. And to kind of get people in the spirit of submitting things to the email, hello at campadulthood.com, and Instagramming and tweeting things at us at camp underscore adulthood, we had 
a box with cards and we told people to put a millennial moment or a question for us or a topic that they wanted us to discuss. So we have some cards. So I was hoping, since you're our esteemed guest, you can pick one at random and then we'll discuss. Okay. Hopefully it's a good one. I'm getting vibes from this card. Okay. What does it say? If it's a weird one, we can pick another one. I mean, it's a good one, I think. I don't know. The popularity of cell phones during middle school changed the way of communication between... Can you finish that? That's <laughs> the only one that can right, right, right. The popularity of cell phones during middle school changed the way of communication between all of us. I'm assuming this is a younger millennial. Yeah, I'm going to say, I sure as I didn't have a cell phone, phone in middle school. school. I didn't have a cell phone until have... junior year of college. Yeah. I, had a cell, I didn't have a cell phone in middle school, but people my age did, so I'm assuming someone my age put that card in the, okay. in the box. And we just but, say how we feel about that? Yeah. Um... I mean, self, I, I think it's safe to say, no matter how old you are, cell phones has changed, yeah. have changed the world. Right. right. Like, I think that's a safe I mean, assumption. I'm going to have pros and cons as pros. Yeah. Um, you know, people go missing, you know, they have the GPS, I guess. Also, <laughs> pro, yeah, pros, you can communicate easier, you can stay in touch with people, your parents, you know, you're at the mall or something like that. Maybe it gets people more in cons, all the horrific things that you hear about like middle school kids doing that like you wouldn't want a thirty year old person like doing. Dick pics it's from like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Getting dick pics from each other. Like I think that's what's more problematic. Right. Shutter. I'm just gonna say yeah, that's a. I, I can't even put that in a pros and cons list because that's a heavy con. I mean, I, I think what's really interesting, again, as I said, I there was not even a question. Cell phones were not a thing in 1996 or 1997 whenever I was in middle school. So I think, you know, there's a kind of etiquette that you don't learn when you're always talking on a cell phone and when you can communicate directly with people. Um, and the fact that I had to, like, call... When I wanted to call my best friend, I had to be like, ring, ring, ring. Oh, hello, Mrs. So-and-so. Is yeah. Mary home? I would love to speak with her. And then she would have to, like, go get someone. And the same when people called our house. Like, my parents were very specific. Like, you answer the phone, you say, hello, Keith's residence. And then they ask for, I know, it was, like, very specific. Like no, that's the yeah. etiquette. And then they would say, you know, hey, is your dad home? And you, under no circumstance, did you hold that phone away from you and scream, Dad! Well, you said, yes, let me go get them. And you would set the phone down and you would go get them and you would not scream like a banshee um, and disturb everyone, uh, which was also hard because, like, my dad was a doctor, so he was on call a lot, so you really Uh couldn't act like an insane person. person. Um, So I I think that's a little... There's a really sweet, like, formality to that that we've lost, but I was recently rereading one of my favorite books and the author just in the narrative they make it it's was written in 1915 or something so the author makes reference to the phone just going into a rural area and how that like you know changed their community and what that was like and you know so these shifts happen constantly or at least since the industrial revolution they're quite common do we want to do one more since we have 
an abundance. Yeah. One more. Yeah, one more. And then we'll wrap up. Then I gotta go walk those dogs. Oh my god, who who's writing these for you? <laughs> I can't even begin. I'm sorry, Maddie. You're gonna try to play these. We're gonna pick another one. This was one of the. There were a lot of children from NYU Abu Dhabi at the yeah. party, and this person just like put their email and was like, "I'm from NYU Abu Dhabi." Oh, so they're just, like, we'll put them yeah. on the list. We'll put them on. The they're list. like, I want a friend. Yeah. yeah. Here you go. Okay. One more. I mean, this is a statement, but also a question. Older millennials are different from younger millennials. Why are they similar? Someone has challenged the conceit of this whole podcast. Why are they similar? Because people are similar. Like, what kind of question is that? Yeah. They're similar between baby boomers and the greatest generation and millennials. Like, it's all arbitrary social distinctions anyways. Well, exactly. And I think they're similar because even though they're, we're all experiencing the same technology and the same historical mm-hmm. events, um, we're just experiencing them at different times of our lives. And I think we do, you know, the positive parts of the millennial generation, I think in particular, are really seen across the board. So um, the optimism, the like belief that it's kind of going to be okay and the belief in our own um, agency that maybe something that you don't really see for example in the Gen Xers um, I think that's um, common across the board whether you're 1980 or 1999 I also will say this I think a lot of younger and older millennials um, in terms I don't want to get political but have a kind of same same kind of desires. I mean, the idea of not being in college college debt for the rest of your life, you know, having access to health care, you know, things that are, in my opinion, extremely reasonable. <laughs> like, hey, can I just not get in $100,000? I think that's a similarity, too. I see, I see a lot of people who are 18 and 33 go to the same like the rally. Right. Caring about your community kind of thing. Right. There's a shift happening, I think, that is more around, yeah, it's communal. It's less of this every man for himself kind of, which is so interesting because everybody says we're like this lazy generation. I just have never experienced that. I mean, I don't know if it's because who I surround myself with, but I work, I work in... No. I think it's definitely, I think the lazy thing comes from, like... A lot of people are in too much debt, maybe, and they have to live at home for a couple of years after mm-hmm. college, or people who didn't go to college who can't yeah. find a job, and that's considered lazy, you know, that we can't all buy houses by age 30, mm-hmm. right? But it's... I mean, by 25, I mean... If you think about I it mean, one step deeper than that, then you see... No laziness here. Is, right? No yeah. laziness at all. Yeah, like someone tweeted the other day, I saw it, maybe I'll, I'll retweet it on the, the Camp Adulthood Twitter to incentivize people to follow but it was a thing and it was like an article from the economist that was like why millennials are not buying as many diamonds as the baby boomers and someone had like tweeted above it and they were like i don't know maybe because i'm paying for a 500 hundred dollar parking pass at my college right yeah. which i thought was funny and illustrative yeah you know so it's like little things like that like andrew a previous guest that we had he 
he had a joke. He was like doing some some stand up jokes for us, and one of his jokes was he was like, "Yeah, millennials all have a car payment, but none of us have a car because mm-hmm. student loans, right? Like right. that's what it is." So. I have to admit, I didn't get that joke at first. It took me a few minutes. But now we've thought about it. Weeks now later, we, we get it. it. I'm like in it. I just got it, so I'm like working with it. Yeah, see, Andrew, you have you have one fan. Yeah. Yeah. Network fans, Andrew too. Love Andrew. All right. All right. Shall so, we wrap up so we can find you? Yeah. Tell us where we can find yeah, you. Yeah. Um, you can find me on Instagram. That's mainly, you know, if somebody has. You know, so question. Just see your life. And if somebody wants to email me, they can email me too if they have any like questions. It's yeah, it's a uh, really simple. I actually I thought this was a genius email. It's contactstephenfloyd at gmail dot com. That's amazing. Yeah. So if you're looking to contact Steven me, with a V. Everyone. With a V. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so. Thank you so much. Yeah, Steven. of course. Thank uh, you guys listeners. for having me. As always, our reminders, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at camp underscore adulthood. Email us your stories. At hello at campadulthood.com and we are launching a Patreon. Yes, so check it out. Maybe you'll get a prize. Yeah. Donate. Oh, and rate, review, subscribe, and listen yeah, on we iTunes. About the iTunes, please. Duh, la duh. Yeah. yeah. We're on... Um, an actual platform now you can still listen on soundcloud and on the website but we are on itunes so it's super easy if you have an iphone the app is already pre-put on your phone you don't even have to download anything exactly um but we would love your reviews and subscriptions so yeah yay all right well thank you and maddie and i will end with our song and soon maddie's gonna write us a real song all right